a wise man builds his life on Jesus' instructions, like a house built on a solid foundation. By tuning in today, you are pouring into your life. This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Take out your notes that you received when you walked in. There's an insert there if you're a guest, a special hello. That'll help you through our time together. What we're looking at. Take that out. Grab a Bible and a seat in front of you. Verses will also be up on the screen. For months, it seemed like everything was changing. March into April, April into May, May to June. Everything seemed to be changing, and none of it ever seemed to change for any good, did it? Didn't matter if it was the governor speaking or the president speaking or the CDC or Dr. Fauci speaking. Whoever was speaking, there was a change that was coming and it wasn't going to be a good change. Our work habits changed, didn't they? How many of you had work habits change? You had to learn how to work differently. How relationships were practiced and shared had to change. I talked to a, a mom yesterday at a soccer game that afternoon. She, they had a Zoom birthday party. We didn't even know that existed in February. How we do family changed. How we do worship changed. Everything was always changing, and it was never good. And it became something we got used to. We got used to hearing more news. We got used to our lives changing and it not being any good. That takes a toll on you, doesn't it? That wears on your soul. What if we learned how to expect good change? What if we learned how to expect good change? change instead of expect bad change. Like expecting the sunrise in the morning, knowing that through the dark and through the night, the sun is going to rise and the day is going to change. What if we learned how to expect a good change in our life and with God? We've been studying this letter from a man named John, John the Divine, the book of Revelation. And John's in prison God wants to change him into a prophet. Talk about change. Going from prisoner to prophet, that's a pretty big change. God's going to give him an apocalypse. God's going to give him a, a vision of things he wasn't aware of and things he didn't know. And he does it with a prisoner. Man's in prison. I think God likes looking for prisoners. God does good work with prisoners. You ever thought of that? Martin Luther King Jr. wrote a letter from a Birmingham jail confronting some of the injustices. And he was in jail. He's a prisoner. God uses prisoners. God looks for prisoners. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Nazi Germany wrote to the churches in the middle of a prison cell. 
Some of those beautiful words penned in your Bible were written by the Apostle Paul when he was in prison. God looks for prisoners. Prisoners have a tendency of focusing. Prisoners have a tendency of having time on their hands. Thinking about things worth thinking about. Maybe you're in prison today. It's a hidden jail cell and they're hidden chains. Do you know that God wants to take a prisoner and turn him into a prophet? God wants to do that with you today. Prophets get things done. Prophets are activists. Prophets are powerhouses. You're like, Paul, I don't want to be a prophet. Oh, you want to be a prophet. You want to see God do great things through you. Prophets are witnesses. This whole book is about witnesses. Jesus, who was the faithful witness. John, who's called our partner, a fellow witness. The Bible wants to turn us into witnesses, prophets of who God is and what God has done. Even though we might be in prison. But you need to understand something about witnesses. And I'd like you to hear John's words. This is uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 9. Listen to what John says to us. I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation, notice that word, and the kingdom, notice that word, and patient endurance that are in Jesus. Tribulation, kingdom, patient endurance. These are the things that we are partnering with John. John, as a witness, is experiencing these three things. Witnesses suffer. He is in prison because he's a witness. Witnesses suffer. You're like, Paul, you're not selling me anything good right now. I'm already suffering. Witnesses, hold on to the sovereignty of God, that there's kingdom. For John, that means knowing that Rome isn't in charge, God's in charge. The emperor's not ruling, Jesus is ruling. Witness, a faithful witness, holds on to the sovereignty of God. That no matter what I'm going through, God rules and reigns, and he's going to see this through. But a good witness, a faithful witness, endures, perseveres. A faithful witness doesn't change their story halfway through because things are getting tough, do they? A good witness holds on to their story. This is what I saw. This is what happened. This is what's going on. A faithful witness knows who God is, what God wants, and what God wants to do. You're like, I, 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 Paul, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm kind of feeling pretty good about door dashing all my meals. I'm pretty happy about click listing all of my groceries. And absolutely, if you want me to show up to a birthday party, it's going to be through a Zoom meeting. I don't want to become a prophet. I don't want to become a witness. It's okay. God makes us and transforms us and invites us into becoming a witness, transforms prisoners into prophets. But how does that happen? How does that happen? One word, worship. It's worship. And in your notes, I'd invite you to write this down with me this morning. Our big idea for the day as we look at this passage. Our faithful witness flows from our worship. Our faithful witness flows from our worship. As you're writing that down in your notes, just connect those dots that make sense to you. We're entering into football season, right? 
some kind of football season, some version of this thing that we call football. And some of you are fans of a particular football team. How many of you are a fan? Jim's a fan. He's got, he's got his fan, fan paraphernalia on this morning. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Anything. And a fan gives witness to the team that they follow, right? Go Browns, right? Yeah, how do I know that? How do I know that? Because of your shirt. You're giving witness to that team. Some of you have, be nice, it's church. Be nice. He has a lot of faith. (laughs) If you went to school or I went to school, there would have been Steelers fans giving witness and Browns fans giving witness and Bills fans giving witness to the teams that they followed. Witness flows from what you worship from what you give to, from what you look to, from what you pay attention to, it begins to embody and flow out of your life. That which you give attention to flows out. In the same way when we talk about this church stuff, our faithful witness flows out of our worship of Jesus. John is going to show us his habit of worship and how in the course of worship, His life is changed and transformed. So let's drill down on that today. Let me read something for you in verse 10, just the first few words. Verse 10 of chapter 1 in the book of Revelation. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day. What day of the week is that? I'm glad you guys showed up today. This is good. What day of the week would Jesus rise from? Historical tradition is that Jesus rose on a Sunday. The early church considered Sunday the Lord's day, the day of his rising. Okay, so he's gathering. He is in the spirit. He's praying and he's praising on Sunday. He's doing church. He's in prison. Surely you get a day off. If you're in prison, you don't really need to give yourself over to a healthy church habit, right? No, John is saying, I am here in prison, but I am in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I am in prison, but I am going to praise. It is Sunday church. I'm going to church. This is what I do. Here he is in a posture of singing, in a posture of prayer. That's what it means to be in the Spirit. He's focusing on the gospel of Jesus. He's remembering verses that he's committed to heart and memory. He's singing the praises of God. What he is doing is he is positioning himself for change. Why don't you write that down in your notes? Positioning myself for change. When we start talking about worship. Of all the things that John could have been doing, he said, I'm going to position myself for change with God. The island of Patmos was an island, a prison island for political disruptors. They weren't, they, they, they didn't merit crucifixion or commit great acts of tyranny or terrorism. They were just a nuisance to the state. And so it was easier just to take them from wherever they were and drop them on this island 50 miles off the coast of Turkey and pretty much just leave them there. Let them do their thing. And that's what had happened to John. John was uh, spiritually taking care of churches throughout the area of Turkey. And they were getting a little concerned. The government was getting concerned about his message and what he was doing. So we're just going to take John from his home and we're going to quarantine him on this island. 
but his priority was still connecting with God. In the middle of quarantine and social distancing, John still makes worship a priority. Uh, yeah, it's true, right? You like how I did that? You like that? Yeah. It's like when you watch athletes. When I talk about athletes, young athletes, toddlers, four years old, five years old, six years old, okay? They have this tendency, if it's like basketball or football, uh, soccer, they go wherever the ball goes, right? It's like this little thing of bees just follows the ball wherever. And the coach has the hardest time getting them to, to uncongest, to, to create space so they can get open to receive something, right? Coaches, you got to spread apart. Open up, open up, open up. John's not going to get congested. John's not going to get confined or contained. John's going to pull out and position himself in a place where he can receive from God. I was in prison. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Why? For change. I say change because I heard behind me, it says, a loud voice like a trumpet. A voice like a trumpet, a loud trumpet, a good trumpet. I used to play trumpet. I'm all about a good trumpet. Trumpet tells you that something's about to change. You're going about your business. You're going about your life. The herald walks in, blows the trumpet, lets you know, hey, the king's about to come here. Things are going to change. So when you listen to good music during a movie, good epic movie, good music, what do you hear? You hear the trumpet. It tells you that things are going to change. Oh, yeah. Get your heart going, right? You know that no matter what was going on, no matter what the Nazis had been up to, the hero was going to take care of it, right? Because the trumpet music told you. It's about the trumpet music. Oh, my goodness. Good music. Yeah. All right, dog. I know you want to, but you know. <laughs> The trumpet music tells you that something's going to change. When I was in fourth grade and the music director said, what instrument do you want to play? I had been prepared to my, by my father to respond appropriately. He said, tell them that you're going to play the trumpet. And I said, Dad, why do I want to play the trumpet? He says, because you get all the good parts. I'm like, oh, I didn't know there was a such a thing. I thought all parts were good parts. No. <laughs> Some of you... Grew up playing low brass instruments, right? In elementary school, ball. That's all that it is, right? Trumpets, trumpets get the good parts. That's why we're so arrogant. <laughs> That's why we're such a nuisance to live with. And I would, we get good parts. And when I was in high school, uh, we played a song called Bugler's Holiday. Oh, so good. Take a listen. music. I found a bunch of bassoonists playing it. That's wrong. Seriously? 
Seriously? I mean, that's not sinful, but that's just a little silly. It's trumpet music! I found marimbas playing it! Oh my goodness. It's trumpet music. It's supposed to do something. It's supposed to make you feel something. Because it's trumpet music. That's what the trumpets are supposed to do. The trumpets tell you it's time for something to change. Get out of your mediocre lives and let's go do something. The general in the middle of the army, seeing the forces coming over the hill, knowing that change had to happen, never said, bring me the bassoon player. <laughs> They're on our flank. Get the marimbas. No. Let's sound the... I know, so he's like, you don't want to admit it, but it's true. The trumpet. And he hears a trumpet because it's time for a change. How many of you approach Sunday morning gathering with the saints expecting change? I'm here to experience Change. I'm here to experience and I positioned myself for change. I might be in a prison, but he's going to change me. God's going to do something. The voice like a trumpet. He turns and he sees. Let me show you what he sees. John, this is verses 12. I'm going to read from 12 down to 16. From 12 down to 16. He hears the trumpet, he turns, I see the voice of the one speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. Refined in a furnace, his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. If witness flows from our worship, if we need to position ourselves for change, that means for worship we need to focus on a fresh vision of Jesus. Write that down, please. Let's focus in on a fresh vision vision of Jesus. To focus on something means to expect something. To expect something. This last week, uh, Lucas and I were playing catch in the front yard. We're throwing the football back and forth. Yes, I can do that. I can do that. I just find it very interesting that a soccer family throws the football back and forth in the front yard. We were, I was focused. He was focused. I was catching. He was catching. I was focused on Lucas throwing the football. All of a sudden, Aiden and Jackson come around the corner. Aiden and Jackson have a tendency of getting my attention whenever they come around the corner. 
And my focus moved from Lucas to Aiden and Jackson, while Lucas's throw was focused on my face. And I looked up in time just to see the ball right here, and I was able to swat it away. I was not able to catch it. I did save my moneymaker. Focus means to expect something, to anticipate something. I am focused on Jesus, a fresh vision of Jesus, not a stale vision of Jesus. You guys know the difference, right? Between stale and fresh, right? Anybody like to eat stale chips? You like to eat chips. Fresh Fresh chips. You know, a fresh bag of chips, that smell, that the salty brininess of the chip, the crisp crunch. That is so good. Yeah. What makes the chips fresh? Here you go, Jack. You can have that. <laughs> what makes the chips fresh? The outside is kept away from it. Right? The outside's not allowed into it, right? For the chips to be fresh, the outside can't penetrate in. It's protected. It's nurtured. It's kept sanctified. It's kept holy. I'm not talking about chips anymore. Our walk with Christ can become stale. Our worship of Christ can become stale. I would posture it's because there's more of the outside coming in than inside coming out. It needs to be fresh. And a great privilege of gathering with our worship artists, singers, instrumentalists, computer, sound this last Wednesday, just thinking through and dreaming about our gatherings and how to keep things fresh. Keep our vision of Jesus in front of us. Letting... Space happens so that the Spirit can do things. A fresh vision of Jesus is what John has and he receives. But by God's grace, look at what he sees. First, he sees Jesus in a specific role. Clothed, it says in verse 13, with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. These are the clothes of a priest. He sees Jesus in the role of priest. A priest is the bridge between me and God. He helps maneuver the relationship. In the Old Testament, if I wanted to communicate with God in a special way, I'd go to the tabernacle, I'd meet with the priest. The priest helped me maneuver the relationship. The role of the priest is to bridge that gap. Me help me communicate with God and God communicate with me. And this is the role that Jesus shows up in. To get me through my experiences and my circumstances and beyond into a greater reality. If you go to the Chesapeake, you go over the Big Bay Bridge, that sucker's big. It's massive, miles long, feels like it's miles high. If you don't do heights very well, you're like this the whole time. That bridge enables me to get from one side to the other. I can't bridge the gap on my own. I'm incapable. Now, the bridge doesn't remove the gap, it doesn't remove the difficulty. 
It just penetrates it. It nullifies it. Jesus shows up as a priest, not to, not to remove the trial, not to remove the hardship, but to bring John through it. Jesus doesn't show up like a ninja to bust John out of jail. He doesn't show up like SEAL Team 6, ready to bring John out of it. He shows up to bring John through it. And there's a difference. I think that's a key interpretive dis difference if you're going to understand the book of Revelation and understand it well. Jesus comes to not take us out of trial and difficulty, but help a faithful witness get through it. He is the priest. And then he notices seven qualities about Jesus. Interesting, that's the number seven. Seven's important to John in this apocalypse. Seven means wholeness and completeness. Here's the whole picture of Jesus. First, he says, notices the hair. Hair of his head was white, like white wool, like snow. We have to take that idea and connect it back to the line that Jesus, that John says right before that, where he says, one like the Son of Man, because both of these images come from Daniel chapter 7, another apocalyptic chapter, where Daniel sees one like the Son of Man next to the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days is described as having hair white like wool. It's the apocalyptic promise that someone is coming to bridge the gap. A man is coming to connect us back to the divine, the divine one. And so when John takes these two ideas and he weds them together, one like the son of man whose hair is white like wool, he's saying, I turned and I saw the God man. I turned and I saw the God man. Eyes like what? Blazing fire, piercing me. Eyes that don't just see me, but see into me. Fire that purges and refines. Have you ever experienced that? Being in the spirit and worshiping God. Jesus looks into you and you feel that you are seen and you are known. And sometimes with a great intensity and you're like, okay, that's about all I can handle right now. Eyes that peer in. Feet that were like bronze. That's important. Bronze is the combination of two elements. You take iron and copper and you refine them together and you get bronze. Why does that matter? Well, iron is very strong, but iron rusts very easily, which means it doesn't last very long. You combine copper with iron and you have something that's very strong, very stable, that lasts for a long time. Here is a one that establishes a rule and reign that is both strong and stable and eternal. This is in contrast to what Nebuchadnezzar sees in Daniel's book, where he sees an image, and the feet of that image are iron with clay, meaning it's strong, but it's not going to last very long. John says, here is the one who rules and reigns, and it lasts for eternity. And his voice like thunderous waters. Have you ever been to the thunder deck at Niagara Falls? 
it's not so much the water, which is awesome. It's the force of the sound that hits you. It commands your awareness and your presence. Someone's voice says a lot about them, doesn't it? The type of person that they are. Grabs your attention. I was driving Jackson to practice this last week. And driving along, it was quiet. No one was really talking. The son was sitting here. The father was sitting here. Jackson looks and turns to me and he says, out of the blue, out of the blue. Dad, you have a preacher's voice. I'm like, what? No, I smile a little bit too. I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. He says, no, 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 no. When you start doing the preacher thing, your voice changes. It gets a little higher. It gets a little bigger. Someone's voice tells you about what someone's doing, the type of person that they are. And this is the middle quality. There's seven of them. There's three before and there's three after. This is the middle quality. And so John draws our attention to this one foremost. He says, the voice of him was like thunderous roaring water. Everything else drowns away in the presence of his voice. He goes on to say, the right hand holds seven stars. To say that something is in the right hand means that someone is ready to do something. A soldier has a sword in his right hand. A carpenter grabs a hammer with his right hand. The fact that he holds the stars, seven stars, in his right hand. Now we're told that stars point to the angels. These aren't just seven angels. If we're talking about seven, it's all of the angelic. It's all of the cosmos. He controls and maneuvers the whole cosmos from his hand. Not just the things that I can see, but the things I can't see. Not just the terrestrial, but the celestial. From his mouth comes a sword, a sharp two-edged sword. And if you're in the book of Hebrews a lot, you're knowing that talks about the word of God, doesn't it? The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. He doesn't conquer with a sword. He conquers with his word, which is like a sword. There's a difference. And the last thing, when he looks upon Jesus as he sees his face, he sees his face. And it shines like the sun. Because you have to remember, Jesus is there as a priest, the bridge. And the blessing of the priest was this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. He beheld the face of Jesus and in that was a blessing. Here is a perfect, complete picture of the Son of Man. Strength and stability, piercing eyes, a commanding voice, and a blessing. All these tensions coming together. And it overwhelms John and it says he falls dead at the feet of the Son of Man. Wouldn't you fall dead at the feet of the Son of Man? Here's one of the things that has, I want to read these next three verses for you. Let me read this through to the end and I want to make a couple observations. There's just something that really gets me right here. Look at verse 17. I fell at his feet, though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, 
I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. From the moment I started prepping our teaching series through the book of Revelation, this verse has captivated me every time. Verse 17. Here he is overwhelmed by the reality and the awesomeness of God. He falls down overwhelmed. And Jesus put his hand on him and said, You're okay. I'm with you. Fear not. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to be overwhelmed sometimes. We need to have our reality busted open sometimes, don't we? We need to get out of ourselves sometimes and have God bust through our pride and bust through our shame to awaken us in whatever prison cell we've recently found ourselves in. But in the midst of being overwhelmed, the grace and the love wins. And God says, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. While we're not getting out of this, we are going to go through this together. And so he says, I'm with you. I am present with you. He stands amongst the, the lampstands, amongst the candelabras. He is the one who walks amongst the churches. He's not distant. He's not far away. He's not removed. He's in here. He's with us. He's with you in the cell. He's with you in the chains. He's with you in the hardships at work and through the marriage and through the challenges. Jesus says, fear not. I'm with you. But I'm not just present with you. He says, I have a purpose for you. Write this down. Now, that's what Jesus said. He said, write this down. <laughs> you guys are so good. You're like, we've got to write something down. Write something down. We'll get to it. But yeah, maybe you want to write that down. He has a purpose for you. In the middle of your quarantine, in the middle of your, your jail cell and compromised work habits and, and difficult relationships and uncertainty about what's going on, in the middle of all of that, Jesus says, hey, I've got something for you to do. There's a message that still needs to go out. There's hope that still needs to be shared. You haven't lost sight of that, have you? You haven't lost sight of the fact that he is still with you and he still wants to do something through you. He still wants to take prisoners and turn them into prophets. So here's a question that maybe we should write down, a diagnostic question to kind of help us find out where we're at. Write this down. There you go. Ready? What am I witnessing to? What am I witnessing to? 
What is my life pointing towards? When I speak, what are my words directed to? When I act, what are my actions pointing others to see? What am I testifying of? Because that tells what I worship. If all you ever hear from my mouth is complaint, if all you ever hear from my mouth is judgment, then I worship myself. Or a political party or an agenda. We need to get back to the place where Jesus is the center of all things and positioning ourselves a life of worship and adoration and praise. Because let's be perfectly honest, a good witness can't talk about that which they have not seen. And John saw a fresh vision of Jesus. God wants to change prisoners to prophets. That's good change. Beyond social distance, it's social activism. Beyond being outcast, it's powerhouse. This is why worshiping together is so important. It's why worshiping together has fallen under attack. And other things are working their way in to short circuit that which is so crucial for the health and the life of the believer. If I don't refill my car with gas, I can expect to run out of gas. If I do not make refilling my car a priority, I can expect to run out of gas. And don't blame the gas station when you do. Quarantine did not stop John. Social distancing did not stop John. He repositioned and he received a fresh vision of Jesus. So if you find yourself in prison today, position yourself where you can see Jesus, see the whole picture in the spirit, doing that which matters most, to get the whole picture, if you will. To get the whole picture, if you will. Take out your connection card. Would you tear that out? That's in, that's in your notes. If you're a guest, a special hello to you. Uh, this is an easy way for you to let us know that you're here. Just we want a chance to pray for you and encourage you. But maybe you find yourself in a prison cell. And Jesus would tell you that he is present, that he has purpose. And if that's something that grabs a hold of you this morning, maybe you could just write down your name, a way to contact, and write down the word presence or purpose. And that'll let me know, let our team know that you're ready for someone to come alongside of you and help you with some next steps. And you can place that in the offering basket. As our artists come back up, uh, I like to go to the theater. But when we go to the theater, Elise always has to buy the tickets because I buy bad tickets. I never get good seats. 
Like seats are seats, right? I mean, like, do you want to pay that much, not pay that much? But my wife, she, she will download uh, the, the image of the seating chart for the theater because we're going to go to a live show and tell you what, seats matter. Seats matter. And she'll haggle and she'll call and she'll find and she always gets good seats because you want to see the whole show. You want the whole experience. But that does take time. And there's a cost. But it's worth it, isn't it? Let me admonish you. It's worth it. I was thinking about individuals who did good stuff while in jail and how God transformed them into prophets. In the middle of the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King found himself in jail in Birmingham. Birmingham was considered by some to be the most segregated, darkest city in the country in the middle of this movement. And so Martin Luther King made him, made his way there with his team. In the middle of demonstrations, he and others were arrested. While in jail, he received letter after letter, hundreds and hundreds of letters. But one stood out to him, and it was a rebuke by eight white religious pastors and, and rabbis. They wanted to know why he was making such a mess. God is a God of order, and why are you upsetting the order of things? And to this, prompted by God... MLK felt he needed to make a response. Why he was there. Why he entered into it. Why he was doing that which he was doing. Why as a good witness he was suffering. Holding on to the sovereignty of God. And faithfully enduring the trials and the tribulations. And this is just a little bit of something that he said. I would encourage all of you to read letters from jail. Beyond this, he said, I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Just as the 8th century prophets left their little villages and carried their, thus saith the Lord, far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns. And just as the Apostle Paul left his little village of Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to practically every hamlet and city of the Greco-Roman world, I too am compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my particular hometown. Like Paul, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call for aid. The world is calling. Some days it sounds like rioting. Some days it sounds like protesting. Some days it sounds like crying. It is desperate for prisoners to step up stand up and to become prophets for the gospel again. Jesus said there are two ways to build your life. A wise man builds his life on God's instructions, like a house on a strong foundation. For more teaching from this ministry, go to whoishouseontherock.com. 
If you don't have a church, please consider being our guest on a Sunday morning. Again, visit whoishouseontherock.com for more information.